Well, good day, folks. Uh, welcome to the very first episode of One Small Step, our brand new podcast, where we're going to talk everything procurement, supply chain, business, leadership, and whatever else tickles our fancy. Very excited. We're straight from the offices of Supply Chain Partner in Centurion, South Africa. And for our very first podcast, we welcome, and I'm very excited to introduce, Skulkberger and Shimei Gonzalez from Supply Chain Partner, the founders, in fact, of Supply Chain Partner. Welcome, guys. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Great to be here. Wonderful. All right, before we kick off, won't you please give us a brief biography of yourself, where you grew up, your schooling, your university, and perhaps your work experience leading up to starting your own business? I'll start first. I grew up in Pretoria. I studied BSc Computer Science with the intention to always do programming. I had my 15-year stint in programming until early 2000s. Then that I decided it's time to get into this internet thing. And I happened to land in the e-procurement space. And I've been there since changing from developing an e-procurement to management consulting in e-procurement and now running a business in supply chain with e-procurement. Wonderful. Shamei? Um, yeah, thanks for having us, Ren. Um, I think for me, I kind of just happened to fall into the procurement space. I studied sports management, which is exactly a criteria for procurement. And so did I, and I'm hosting a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and um, yes, I, um, I loved sport, went to university, thought that's probably the best place to start. So I studied sports management in the commerce aspect and then fell into a job at Arthur Anderson, which we're not allowed to talk about anymore. But uh, yeah, carried on in consulting, tech, um, worked for tech companies like Oracle, went to work for a company in the UK, a new company at that stage, um, Ariba, which was subsequently bought over by SAP. Um, spent time in the construction industry, running procurement portals, came back to South Africa, um, spent some time at Accenture, doing strategic sourcing in the mining sector, really kind of fell in love with procurement um, and the, the differences it can make to our economy um, my last job really before starting our own business was with a mining company, also trying to transform a procurement department from a tactical focus to a strategic focus, but also focusing on staff development, trying to get people to get the value of procurement. So a lot of focus on change management, trying to rescope job descriptions and roles, and trying to find the value that procurement can bring to the table and educate people on it. Mm. I'd just uh, <coughs> like to say that the aeroplane noises are for free. Uh, uh, excuse <laughs> that. Um, so, so usually when, when, uh, when one makes a massive decision like starting your own business or, or anything else, there's a, an event that triggers that or maybe a series of events. Uh, can you explain to us what triggered your desire to start your own business and perhaps the events leading up to making the final leap? So I think I'll take this one. Um, so when I was working in, a, in our last job, which was at a mining company, we had finally, after 10 years, got permission to put in a procurement system. 
we had continuously gone out for tenders year after year, but could never really get the funds together to acquire a system to help digitalize our procurement platforms. Um, and when I eventually got the go-ahead, not based on ROI or savings per se, but more on countering fraud and corruption, we had a very interesting case where the CEO was always approached by suppliers saying, do you know that your procurement department has issues and that there's fraud and corruption? And, and he one, one day he called me in and asked, what, what percentage do I think is, do we lose based on fraud or corruption? And you know, I, how big is the problem really? You know, how much more do we pay? How much less do we pay? How, how can I quantify the problem? And, and I said to him, well, I have no visibility because we don't have any good systems. So it's very difficult to quantify how big the problem is. But if you give me a system, I will be able to tell you exactly where the pro possible areas of fraud are and how we can counter it. And that was the reason why we finally got a tool. And I think my boss at the time asked me, what would I need? Would I need a big SI to help me fix procurement, transform procurement? And I said, no, I needed two guys. I needed Skulk and I needed Valhalla, which is one of was also one of our founders that is now um, working in the UK. Um, and I said, if you give me these two guys, I don't need anybody else, we can transform procurement in, in the mining sector. And we were on a journey for about three years, rescoping everything. We before we had tools, we kind of spooked and plucked. I don't know what the English translation is for that. Spit and Blood and tears, I don't know. <laughs> um, and we kind of put together automation as best as we could in SharePoint, in little tools that we had available, in Excel, you know, just to make it visible. We kind of realized in the mining sector that we're doing a lot to the business, but we're not doing it for the business. So our focus was really to go out to the mining operations to understand what are their needs, how do we partner with them, how do we help them, rather than just tell them we are going to save you this money and you are going to get the benefit of it without involving our customers. And I think the journey was really exciting. It was really hard because people have different views and different ideas and different egos. And, you know, a mining sector is a hard environment. Um, so some of the initiatives we wanted to do, we couldn't do. We couldn't persuade, maybe. We didn't have the right level of buy-in. Um, and it was, it was difficult. And I think there was an opportunity where Skulk suggested maybe we go out and see if, if we can do more, if we go on our own and we can help more companies. And at the time, I was skeptical. Um, I loved our department. I wanted to improve things. And I wasn't sure. I wanted to finish it strong. I didn't want to leave when it wasn't fully implemented and fully functional and fully digital, digitalized. Um, so we got a lot of savings, but we couldn't fully integrate the platform the way we wanted. Um, there was, a, um, I think, Sabanya which was the new company that was formed out of Goldfields, kind of derailed some of our plans. Um, great strategy, great new CEO, lots of new initiatives, um, but it was difficult to explain the journey we had been on and to try and get alignment for the future. So at that time, I think we exited uh, and we started Supply Chain Partner. Cool. Who was part of the business at its inception? Take us through I know there's been a, a massive explosion of staff all of a sudden. 
and maybe take us through the staff growth curve over the years. Okay, when we started the business approximately five years ago, uh, we had three founders. It was myself, Shemay, and Wilhelm. It um, was tough the first six months, um, taking money from all sorts of sources to, 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 to fund the business. You mean um, your own sources? Our, our, own, <laughs> our own pockets. Yeah. Um, but Mainly my pocket. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we, we, we started the business, the three of us. Um, we took absolutely the minimum we needed to take to survive. And in spite of that, we might have been slightly early in the market and we ran out of money in about six months. Yeah. <laughs> what a great um, start. <laughs> um, which, which wasn't too bad, it makes you focus. Um, and we were very lucky that we got a, a small deal in the beginning that carried us a bit. Um, and then we found a significant deal with that resourced um, Shimei and myself. Unfortunately, shortly before we found that, that deal, um, but Helen decided to uh, um, go work for another SI in the UK. That was his, his journey, and he's doing very well there right mm -hmm. now. Um, so not a bad decision for him. Um, so when we were at this new uh, customer, um, we got a fairly nice rate in the, um, on the project we were on, and we were able to bank a lot of that money because we were taking the minimum salaries ourselves. Mm. After about a year, I'd mm -hmm. say, we employed our first employee, and then the world exploded. Um, we were now a company and not two consultants. Yeah, ch changing from two consultants, kind of being responsible for yourself, and now having to worry about another person. And um, that changed our mindset quite a bit. And then the projects based on the first one started to come in consistently, where Two years ago, we've been at about 35 people mm. and going strong. <laughs> <laughs> what unforeseen challenges did you encounter when you jumped all of a sudden from a two-man operation to a fully-fledged business with staff and overheads and thinking about other people's children's schooling that you're responsible for, I guess? Yeah. Well, it is exactly that. You also used to look after yourself and your own family and maybe your immediate community. Now you realize you have to look after a lot more. You're responsible for a lot more. Mm. You have to run a business and you realize pretty quickly that's not your skill set. So you cannot just depend on your current skill set. There's a lot of things you need to learn really quickly. We weren't in the easy position to go and employ a CEO that can do this for us. We kind of organically went through the motions to, to get to, to where we were. Mm -hmm. um, so personally for me, a challenge is a people focus. Mm. I'm so into technology and making a system work. And now there's people around you and you need to train them up and care for them. Um, it's quite a mindset change for mm. me. Yeah, and I think we do still do a lot of things wrong. I think most of our five years have been learnings of how not to do things. <laughs> I don't know if we're at the point yet to actually know what the hell we are supposed to be doing. But I think 
a key thing for me has also been trying to balance high performance and personal development. You know, in the beginning we were both working on projects, consulting, and had to mentor and train at the same time. It wasn't like you had you had the luxury of managing staff and you could just be there for them. You still had to deliver projects and manage staff. And with high-performing individuals, it's very easy when they're self-motivated because they add to the synergy. But often, when you take youngsters out of school, um, who's never been to a job maybe, um, it, it becomes a challenge in being a high-performing culture, but also a culture that is uplifting of, of people who haven't maybe had opportunities in the past. So it becomes all about people. It becomes how to understand their needs, but how to grow their needs, but to also recognize if they have an aptitude to have a good attitude and to be a high-performing individual. So we spend a lot of time investigating great cultures. We want to be a company that is a great company to work for, that has a great culture. But in doing that and in embracing new strategies around Netflix and Zappos and all the Google companies and all the great cultures that are available around the world, we've we've made many mistakes where we we try and assume that everybody can cope with a high performance self-managed culture and i think that is one of our learnings that we're trying to trying to integrate well into the company is how do we give those opportunities how do we make sure our company is a high performing performing company but also a great place to work and not create spoilt entitled children you know that is something that we're struggling with to find the balance between all these awesome companies that do awesome things and the south african context of different value systems different uh, parenting techniques which is w w um, what we are all a product of you know um, were we children that were just told what to do and we did it or were we children who self-managed you know could clean the garden could own our own um, job descriptions at home and I think in the South African context I think there's a huge challenge in creating self-managed individuals and I think that is probably one of our, our biggest challenges m investing in the right soil to create those individuals that can move our company forward and and add value to the communities and and our customers so what was interesting about this conversation for me was, was um, how you were saying that you had to learn how to do things that you weren't maybe strong at. So for instance, Skulk, your, your focus is technology and systems and, and so on. And, and you're saying that people and mentoring is perhaps a challenge for you. I think what's great about supply chain partner, about the two of you, is that you uh, pick up on each other's weaknesses, where Skulk, where you're weak, Shemay is strong, Shemay, where you're weak, Skulk is strong. This is really cool for, for you guys, and it's wonderful how it worked out. But I think the learning here maybe is that if, we, if I am an entrepreneur and I, am, I have a weakness in certain areas, I remember growing up learning that you have to work on your weaknesses. You know, these are the things you need to spend time on. But if you listen to a guy like Tony Robbins or any, anyone else who says, leave your weaknesses, they're weaknesses for a reason. Find somebody else who's strong in those areas and focus on the things you're stronger. So for me, the, the learning out of this is uh, don't spend too much time on the stuff you're rubbish at. Find someone who's good at it, you know. Um, what, what are the biggest mistakes or learnings you've made since starting the business? 
one of the biggest learnings I've had is once you've worked so hard to find that successful recipe, it changes. Hmm. We've worked hard, we found a nice successful recipe. The moment you want to replicate that because it's success, you find that customers have changed, the world has changed, and what worked yesterday doesn't work today. Sure. So the biggest learning is flex. Be ready to change and change and do it quickly. Our world has changed significantly in the last year where we've seen a big difference from how customers used to approach projects and how they do it now and embracing that change. That is very relevant to us right now because we are busy changing our business to, to be ready for the new way projects are working. I think technology also changing which means yeah. if we offered to implement the technology last year in a sector, um, does it mean that that technology a year later is still the best for a customer in a similar sector? Mm -hmm. So I think being aware of what's going on in the market and doing your job at the same time and helping customers is, is tricky because you tend to flex towards where you're strong and not necessary to what's highly innovative and what can work. So I think keeping up to date with, with, with new technologies and not just relying on, on past experiences is quite a big learning for us uh, in, in our local market as well. Yeah, I think it's a very valid point. If you look at a company like Kodak, who became better and better and better and the best at what they do with blinkers on, and before they knew it, no one wanted a camera anymore, mm -hmm. a film-operated yeah. film mm -hmm. camera. I think from a customer engagement perspective also, we have learned quite a lot. Um, customers being, you know, coming from a procurement background where I could, well, first a consultant at the mercy of the guy who negotiates the procurement contract with us as a company, and then being on the procurement side, having a bit of sympathy for the suppliers and how they are treated. and. Now being back on the side of trying to convince the procurement officer that we are the best at what we do and, and, and great in the niche in which we are playing um, has its challenges. But also in the world, you find so many different personality types, different kind of stakeholders, different customers. And I think for me, the, the most significant lesson learned is how to respond in difficult situations and that and how not to react mm. in difficult situations so you never want to uh, harm relationships and sometimes people can be really difficult and mean you know um, and as a consultant you got to be able to take it and own it and respond in a respectful way and manner at all times you know and I think for me that journey of of learning to be quick to listen slow to speak slow to counter argue sometimes you do think uh, a bit of an argument would have gone further than being soft-spoken about a situation um, so obviously crucial conversations are important being able to man up when you need to but always doing it in a respectful way as to never burn a bridge I think has been a huge learning for us and something I hope we get better at treating customers well, even when they don't deserve it at times. Mm -hmm. 
What about some things that you've tried that have worked well? No, nothing. <laughs> <laughs> we wouldn't be here if anything's working well. <laughs> no. Um. So from my side, we operated in a space. We saw an opportunity five years ago and we took it. And fairly shortly into, into our life as a, as a young business, we realized that there's other technologies out there. What worked for us is investigating those technologies, understanding it, understanding the strengths and the weaknesses, and which technologies work at different customers, so that we're not the kind of vendor that goes and say, says, I only sell this and I'll make it work for you. Mm. We find or we understand what your, your business needs are and where you need to get your value from, and then we can advise or help you choose the right solution for your business. Mm. Yeah, I think we, we'd like to think that we are a trusted partner. We are not um, gonna sell you something just because it looks good on the balance sheet. I think we really, our hearts are really to help companies in South Africa become better, smarter, more efficient, more effective, more digitalized, more open to understand their spend, their transparency in their business, detect fraud. Um, we, I think we really care about our customers and we do want to make sure that the tools and the tech and the anything that we help advise on from an advisory perspective, that it really truly adds value to the business at the end of the day. It's not just another piece of tech, but mm -hmm. it actually brings out the best in their business. Um, I think what's also worked well is mostly, not always, um, is I think we have been quite good at developing key skills. Uh, we're not shy to spend money on our staff and skill them up so that they can be brilliant and therefore make our customers brilliant. Um, I think that is something that we have done well, often at the cost of um, you know, ever paying dividends or, or rewarding directors or uh, big bonuses. We, we, unfortunately, we're not th there yet as a, as a business who's five years old. Most of the money has always gone back in to reinvest, rebuild, reskill. Mm. Um, and I think we've managed to do well because we have brilliant people, although when we got them, they weren't necessarily in the procurement field. Um, they're talented young people, passionate about different areas of business, and we've tried to apply creative skill to the procurement area, and I think it has worked really well. It's brought a diversity mm. of skill sets and, yeah. and a bit of an innovation, I think. Mm. Uh, Shemay, earlier you alluded to uh, the internal culture of companies like Zappos and um, Netflix and, and so on, Google. And, uh, and what I know that those companies before, th they had a culture in mind uh, and then went through some serious growing pains by employing the wrong people that didn't perhaps fit into the culture and they wanted a high-performing autonomous culture, but they may have employed some people who couldn't work on their own and, and fell on their faces a bit. Um, what internal culture are you striving for? And what are some of the challenges when attempting to instill this culture? I think in the perfect world, you know, we want well-rounded consultants that can self-manage in all areas. Um, 
we want to give a level of freedom that we can require a task to be done, but leave, leave it up to them in terms of the initiatives or the way they get to the answer. As long as the answer is congruent and it makes sense and it is helpful and correct for that customer at their given time and their journey. I think what's difficult is we assume different things. If you've been in procurement for a long time, you know all the slogans and you know all the acronyms and you know what things mean and you speak a language that maybe you assume others understand. And I think sometimes we don't clearly stipulate expectations because it's inherent in who we are and, and we think we're talking the same language. So I think one of the things we, we've realized that we need to get better at is in our minds we have a culture and we think everybody else has the same culture in their mind. You know, we, we want people to feel free to, to include family in, in, in work time. You know, if you have to run out to get to a gala to watch one of your kids, we'd like to think that we could offer you that if you are a responsible individual and you can work in and deliver at your own pace and, and take a break here or there, but manage yourself to deliver the best possible quality deliverable for your customer. Mm. Um, so I think in our minds we assume, and I think Skolk and I are quite lucky that we share the same work ethic. Um, if, you know, if it's a, if it's a lack of day, yes, we could maybe take a day off and, and, and spend more time doing personal things, but if the times are tough and we need to work through the night to get stuff done, we'll be the first to do that, mm. you know? So, so the, I think the nice thing is we share that work ethic and it's very difficult to share things in a company if you, if you don't align on work ethic. And I think for millennials and youngsters coming through, we assume that we all share the same values in our work ethic. Um, and I think we have to, we've realized that we have to become a lot clearer on describing a work ethic, you know? Does it mean I can sit and play Candy Crush five hours a day? <laughs> Probably not, you know? Does it mean that I can sit and watch YouTube movies all day? Probably not, you know? Um, but yes, if, I'm, if I have five minutes and I wanna quickly, you know, learn something on YouTube, no problem. We wanna have a freedom where people can do that. So we're often in the space of, do we block all these things or do we treat people like adults? And I think for us, the journey is finding the balance between, you know, what can people manage? How much boundaries? And I think in our staff, we've seen that maybe we've got analysts, we've got consultants, we've got more senior consultants, and then eventually partners and directors. And it's trying to understand which benefits are for all, which benefits are earned, and which benefits everyone can share. And I think that's the journey we're in, is trying to figure out who needs which boundaries in order to perform well. Mm. Um, and we just assumed initially that nobody needs boundaries. We can just all cope by just doing what we all know to do. And, and we've realized very quickly that maybe that's not the best way to run a business. Sure. Yeah, I think if, <coughs> if you look at those companies we were speaking of, um, that they, they have not learned how to employ the right person um, but part of SCP's supply chain partners values is developing people which means you might might not 
necessarily be able to employ the exact right person if so so that that'll be a challenge eh? you can't just look at a zappos or a um, or a netflix challenging times how important is growing as a leader when running your own business you lead yourself for all your life and then all of a sudden before you know it you're uh, you're on a podium and people are looking to you for direction uh, for their future i think it's something you have to actively take control of you can't just go day by day running this business and think all is going to be well you need to be strategic about it you need to think i'm lacking in these skills and i need to up those skills to be able to be a leader um, having just said that it almost goes against what we said earlier about growing mediocrity sure. by focusing on things that that isn't um, in your skill set but certainly from my from my uh, perspective i've realized that i actually do have an affinity for it and i can do it even though traditionally um, i wasn't in that space mm -hmm. i realized i can do this and i'm not too bad mm -hmm. but i do need to fill some educational gaps some skills gaps and understanding gaps and you need to be strategic about it you need to go to the effort and get to know it or you will fail mm. yeah i think also unfortunately we we all have to learn sometimes we learn the hard way and we learn hopefully from reflecting and thinking through why we failed um, one of the things we also do internally is we run a lot of mentorship sessions so we're working through two books at the moment with our analysts and our consultants one is seven habits which every consultant has probably read at some point in their life and then um, one of the J john maxwell books on how to think differently and i think if we don't make time to think about what we're doing wrong that's the first learning for me then we're never going to do it better so one of the things i've learned in our last mentorship session has been making time to think think about strategies because often we for me i've got four children so i don't often have time to think <laughs> <laughs> unless it's in the car in between Turin and johannesburg you know um so i think making time to think and and i mean on planes i've i've actually started to whenever we travel on a plane try and not do work work on a plane but read a book read a leadership book read a the development book um, and make notes and and learn use that as a learning time dedicated to learning um, but I think for me I, I love Blinkist I know that's an app that a lot of people listen to who are maybe lazy to read I find it very helpful for me to quickly scan through through books and 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 if I want to address things on culture I can quickly read through a, a book on the way to work an audiobook obviously while I'm driving mm. <laughs> um, and just quickly learn how can I dress culture better sometimes I don't have time to do a whole thesis or a whole deep dive analysis but if I quickly listen to five tips I can use that immediately in my day mm. to get better at, at doing things that that I do badly cool all right <coughs> here's the pressure question because um, fi five years is generally the the, the golden number. If you've made it five years, your business is more than likely going to make it. So now that you've made it, it's five years, you guys are the experts. Uh, success in a box question. If you had three pieces of advice to give our listeners who want to start their own business, what would they be? I would say 
employ the right people, be ready to walk away from a deal. In other words, know what, you, what your focus is. And the third one is be ready for the day when you run out of money. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I mean, I agree. I think my top three would be never start a business without some extra resource that you can tap into. So in our case, it was six months salary and that was barely enough. Um, secondly, I think like Skok says, know what you're good at. Don't try and be all things. Focus on the things that you're great at. Um, as a young business, you often want to do anything to make money. So you, so I think that's obviously great to be innovative and listen to customers and do new things, but qualify out if that's not your core skill. And I think thirdly is learn and adapt and grow and change with the times and listen to your customers and, and make sure you don't pee them off. <laughs> Skalk Shumay, thank you so much for joining us today on One Small Step. It's been an absolute pleasure. You've given us a gold mine of information. Uh, thank you to our listeners. Thank you for joining us on our very first podcast. Uh, please join us again next time. This is Ren. Take care.